0: You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest
1: episode of Three Motors. Hello welcome to another edition of Brema I am John Kurtz, joined by Cole Manbeck. No Derek Young today as he is traveling back from Austin, where unfortunately K-State falls again, 62-56. to uh, Fairly similar story to the BYU game. Uh, held at arm's length pretty much the entire way, but got painstakingly close uh, in the final minute, and then it didn't work out. And K-State is now lost for the seventh time in eight games, which I'm sure is causing a lot of people to drink. And if you are doing so, make sure that you hit up our friends at Holiday Distillery. Get their 360 vodka. Get their Ben Holiday bottled in bond bourbon. Whichever your poison of choice is, they've got the hookup. They're great K-State folks who support our pods. So please do support them. Okay. Felt in uh, some ways like the same, uh, same old story. Beat of the same drum. Um, you know, I know the, the turnover numbers overall weren't as high in the game last night, which is 13 uh, for K-State. That is that is certainly a better number than what you have typically seen out of this team. But it still felt like a lot of pretty careless and bad turnovers. It was another bad game from Cam Carter, uh, whose struggles are really, really hurting this team when they rely so heavily on three different players and uh, just did not have the offense. I mean, the offense uh, is is seemingly never in sync. Uh, Jerome Tang said after the game they're, they're just not doing easy things well enough uh, right now on the offensive end and you know I don't know all things told it's it's getting I feel a little bit like a broken record when we come here on the podcast and talk about this team at this point the offense is a problem turnovers are a problem getting the big three to play well at the same time is a problem and generally I think the, the root of everything is they just they don't have enough guys They they don't have enough Good players at the Big Twelve level, without Wes Glover and without Naquan Tomlin, uh, and uh, that's that's kind of the story we've seen all season. And they may be just fading, tiring out, been discovered, scouting reports, whatever here by the end of the year. And that's that's kind of how you arrive at this point. That would be that would be my summation of uh, of where things are at right now.
2: Uh, and I think once you go through this league and teams have seen you enough, the scouting reports and the tendencies are out there and, and everybody's well-versed on each other. And I think teams have heavily scouted Kansas State and know if you take away the big three of Cam Carter, Arthur Kaluma, um, you know, and Tyler Perry, or even just one of the three. You don't have to take away all three, obviously, but if you take away one of the three, K State's going to have enough struggles to score the basketball to, uh, to pull away from you. And they know they're going to be in the game Competitively, K State's just not a team that's going to probably be able to blow you out. I mean, they they blew UCF out to start Big Twelve play, and then obviously won by double figures at West Virginia. But ever since then, I mean, every game feels like a dogfight. Uh, I think they're now one in four in the month of February, and all five of those games have been decided by six points or less. Uh, so they're they're in the games, but it just feels so incredibly repetitive right now that it's the same mistakes over and over again on the offensive end of the floor. The shame of it is they haven't been able to capitalize on what's been one of the best defenses in America. K-State, you know, as we're recording this on Tuesday night, currently ranks 16th in the country Ken Ken Palm defense. And I think they've been, over the last month, close to top 10 in the country. But the problem is the offense during that same 30-day, 40-day period has ranked in the 250s in the country in terms of efficiency when you look at like Barb Torvik. And so... You know they they just have not been good enough offensively. If they had just an average offense, and I'm talking about you know ranking around like a hundredth in the country, this is a team that probably would be in the top six or top five in the Big Twelve standings currently. It would probably be a shoe in for the NCAA tournament, but the offense just continues to struggle. And I think you're right. I mean, I just don't think they have enough weapons um, offensively, and teams have scouted them well enough and. Like it all gets back to like Jerome Tang and the coaching staff. They plan to go to this five out offense at the beginning of the season. And they talked about it. And the whole goal of the five out offense is to space the floor, spread it out, create driving opportunities, isolation opportunities to create kick out open looks for guys. And it's really hard to execute on the five out offense when, you know, you don't, and I I hate belaboring this point, but just to remind like. They planned on having it be Tyler Perry, Cam Carter, Arthur Kaluma, Naquan Tomlin, David Gasson at the five. But instead, for the most part, they're having to play two bigs at once. And the problem with that for Kansas State is none of these bigs are pick-and-pop bigs. You don't have like an ish Masood on the roster that can pick-and-pop. And And so what's happening is when K-State has the two bigs on the floor, like Gasson and Will McNair, Teams don't respect their ability to shoot the basketball, and so they just sag off into the paint and prevent the other guys from being able to drive. I mean, you just lag off those guys, and there's no driving opportunities, and then you end up with tough shots on the perimeter. Like, the whole goal of the five-out was to have a Naquan Tomlin at the four uh, to be a guy that can also drive, attack, create kickouts, threes, better looks from three. Because I don't think... This team has obviously been horrendous shooting the ball from three. You know, they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in school history. They rank around 320th in the country in three-point percentage. But I don't think they're that bad of a three-point shooting team. I think a lot of it is they just aren't, they don't get great looks. And I think if they had more weapons that could create, like a Quest Glover, like a Wan Tomlin, that create more kick-out looks, offensive rebound kick-outs, et cetera, they'd probably shoot it a clip better from three. Yeah, and, you know, I
1: mean, The obvious example there, too, is Tyler Perry just having to do so much more, you know, and he's I got to give him credit, man. I mean, he's he's the one guy that seemingly has really evolved his game. He's become so much better at getting into the lane and being crafty and finding ways to score, not create quite as much. But he is scoring better there when the three point shot isn't falling and they aren't getting open three point looks because you are correct. They're 320th in the country uh, in three point percentage right now. So. It's not great. Um, Tyler Perry has found a way, but the rest of the guys are not really coming along. It feels like Arthur Kaluma has been kind of figured out. Uh, Cam, Cam Carter, I mean, you know, we, we probably need to do a separate kind of segment of the show on him because that's that's been the most disappointing thing to me in terms of individuals here as of late with the team. Um, but no, it's it's so true. Like, everything has changed. And that's why, you know, some of the dialogue that I'm seeing with the team right now is a bit frustrating because so much of it gravitates toward anger at the coaching staff and frustration with, you know, this, this team, this roster, what it is. And I get it, man. Nobody wants to sit here and still be blaming Naquan Tomlin, not being there, blaming us, you know, Quez Glover having two knee injuries this year. Um, I get it. Like at a certain point, you just kind of have to go out there and accept what you have and go win games. And they've been close um, but they're not getting over the hump. And I think it's in large part because they don't have those guys. But, like, that is the reality. It does change a lot. It is not the team that this was supposed to be. Now, do we all still have expectations that were probably too high coming into the year in thinking that, you know, this was a team that could be a second weekend type of team again? Yeah, perhaps. But I, I certainly still think that this is a tournament team if they had a healthy roster. You can't count on that. Other teams have bad injuries too. I get it. And this is where you know the discussion probably goes towards some things that we've talked about, Cole. And I don't know that we need to get into like specific names, but roster management things with guys that they kept and and didn't keep, and who they went hard after in the portal, what decisions that they made there. They probably we think should have cultivated a roster that had a little bit more depth to be able to withstand something like this. And there were some mistakes made there too. And that's ultimately on the coaching staff. But let's just chill a little bit with crushing everybody when you take into account everything Cole just said about how this team was structured, how it was set up, what they're missing, and that this was not supposed to be the team. Like, they anticipated a team that at least, even Quez Glover, because that's one I'm even a little skeptical on, much as I love him and his potential. He had an injury history. I think you knew you were taking a bit of a risk there. You could have paid more money and had Joe Toussaint. Instead, you know, took a, a little bit more of a... Risk with a guy who wasn't going to cost as much money there in Quez Glover. Not that it all equates to that, and it didn't work out. So even if you put him aside, having Naquan Tomlin would make a massive difference on this team. And I, I'm just not really here to to listen to much else. I mean that I think it is very clear that that would have drastically changed what this team is, and they probably are still a tournament team with him. And certainly they're a they're a much more aesthetically pleasing team to watch, right? Because the problem now is that they're losing games and it's just not a fun brand of basketball to watch at all. And it it is very reminiscent of like Bruce Weber's teams at the end there where they couldn't score. You know, I mean, Bruce generally would have teams that could defend, but they were not able to score. Even the great teams were not able to score very well. Barry Brown, Dean Waite, those teams were not known for filling it up. It just defended the hell out of you. So there's some fatigue with that. It's not a, a visually appealing style of basketball. And you just throw in, you know, some of the, Frankly, careless mistakes that this team makes. And it just it's one big pot of frustration. But let's not get overboard and carried away with like big picture grandiose statements about what this really means for the the coaching staff. I I mean it I genuinely believe that. I still very much believe in the staff. And I think they got Dell kind of a crappy hand while making some mistakes that a second year head coach is going to learn from along the way
2: yeah yeah and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail here in a bit on you know, some of these second year head coaches from the the class of coaches that were hired in the same year at Jerome Tang that made the NCAA tournament and what they're doing this year. look, it's it's an adjustment for coaches, and I'm sure this staff is learning more and they'll adjust going into this next off season. But you know the other thing I would say about Naquan Tomlin and about this roster is like I, I think they wanted to get out and run more. In transition. But again, when you play two bigs, you can't get out and run as much when you have Will McNair out on the floor versus when you have David Guson at the five and you have Naquan Tomlin, Kaluma, Carter all getting out and running the floor. Look, last year's team ranked 43rd at adjusted tempo in the country. This year's team ranks 212th in the country. And when you're struggling in the half court offense, one of the best ways to counter that or alleviate it is to get out and get some easy buckets and transition and run the floor, create some turnovers. Now, one thing, like this team just, just to cut you off, who
1: would have been going into the season? I probably would have said Quez Glover and Naquan Tomlin would be the two best guys at, at doing that in terms of a guy that can get up and down the floor and throw it up for lobs. And then the guy that can obviously go get every single lob. And then like, you look at this team last night, how many lobs did they screw up last night? It was at least two,
2: like two or three that I can yeah. remember in the second half. I mean, they just, they, they don't have it. Yeah, I mean, think back to that OU game, John, in Manhattan last year when it felt like it was just a walking highlight reel of lobs and fast break points and just getting up and down the court and Desi Sills and Naquan and those guys. And yeah, like The other thing is, like, this team, while they're elite defensively, one thing that they don't do particularly well compared to last year's team, last year's team forced a turnover rate of 21%. That was top 50 in the country. This year's team ranks 168th in the country, and turnover rate forced at 17.3%, I believe. And so, you're not, you know, while you're playing great defense, you're not able, you're you're just not creating enough turnovers, get out and run and get some easy baskets. And so you're having to score so much in your half-court offense where you just... There's so much pressure on those three guys in Carter, Kaluma, and Perry. And, you know, you add a couple other guys that could maybe alleviate that and take the pressure off when those guys are having an off night and you got a fourth or fifth option that could pick up the slack. And you just don't have that. There's no there's no margin for error with this roster. They have to be sharp, those three guys. And and I do wonder if it's mentally wearing them down, like a Cam Carter that we can get to in a, a moment that is is he feeling the pressure and the, you know, the mental grind of everything going through the season, having so much weight on his shoulders, Tyler Perry and, and Kaluma as well. So yeah, it's, I, I don't want to make it sound like we're making a ton of excuses because I think they should, that there's probably some adjustments a staff could have made. And I talked about the five out offense and maybe there's some adjustments there. I don't know what fits best for this personnel. I'm not a coach and I I trust this staff. Um, but. It's unfortunate it, it, at this point. It just doesn't feel like it's going to get better, uh, and they're just going to have to try and grind out some wins the rest of the way. Yeah, I agreed on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, Jerome Tang raised the bar with expectations, and that's not just because he won. It's because of how he's carried himself and the things he's quite literally said. Right? You know, I mean, stormed the court against Kansas the first year. You guys get one court storming, expect to win. Um, you know, that wasn't expect to win. Unless we lose two of the top six guys from our rotation that don't even play a single minute of an actual game this season, that was expect to win, period. So he has raised the expectations and you gotta be able to live up to that, or people will start to become frustrated. So yes, absolutely. I'm I'm willing to hold them accountable. And I have I have said and and will continue to say, I think there are some lessons to be learned from how things went in the portal and everything, how they how they have managed a lot of things. But yeah, for for the team that they have right now and what's actually out there on the floor right now and what they have, i'm I'm just not sure I'm just not sure what else this coaching staff could really be doing right now. I hopefully, I, I guess there is some something you could maybe do for the offense to help that come around a bit. And, you know, they did go through a lull. They had that lull where they lost to Tech in Oklahoma last year where even as good as that team was, it looked pretty dreadful, you know, for a little while. But we're going on a stretch of losing 7 of 8. I think the reality is, yeah, they were kind of playing above their heads, and the coaching staff did a great job to get that 4 out of 5 start out of them uh, paired with a more manageable schedule. But now the reality is it's just hard to do much with the pieces that are there on the roster. And that's not trying to knock anybody. I think some of those guys would be a lot better if you had – a naquan tomlin there to take some pressure off and be the guy uh but it just it has not worked out like that like i don't think all these guys were brought in to be playing the roles that they are this year they're having to do more they're being a little bit overexposed and uh, that's the unfortunate reality of the situation but you know if you're watching K day you can still look good uh and you can do so by wearing home field apparel get on over to homefieldapparel.com use promo code 3 mod 23 for 15 percent off your first order We're giving you a hookup there for 40 plus K-State designs, uh, lots of great old school stuff. You can look great for football season, for basketball season, whatever it may be. If you are watching Jeff Mitty and the Cats who are still ranked in the top 10, uh, another great way to do that is homefieldapparel.com to get stocked up. Again, promo code 3 mod 23 for 15% off your first order, and we are
0: back in just a moment. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest-ranked Chiefs Podcast Network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. KCSN.substack.com We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I,
1: I want to talk about Cam Carter a little bit here, Cole, because I think you make a good point that he could be a guy that's just getting worn down by how much has been placed on his shoulders this year how much has been asked of him how much pressure is on him to score and play well every single night and we're we're in the dog days of the season things have not been going well it's just got to be tough to bring it night in night out here at this point and and he is i mean he's he's really struggled man i mean i the tcu game that they lose on a buzzer beater i just it may have been the worst game of cam carter's season uh six points one of seven oh of three um He turns it over four times, and it just feels like, you know, some of the turnovers are pretty careless, pretty bad. He's taking long twos that kick long off the heel and turn into runouts, you know, a transition opportunity for the other team. Just stuff like, you know, there's a huge possession in the TCU game. He comes down the floor and just, you know, in pseudo-transition, like, rifles a pass at Will McNair where just you got to know, like, McNair's not catching that, man, and it wasn't like a – an automatic layup even if he did it was the very low reward high risk Uh, we're just seeing stuff like that right now not great decision making from him that I think is is really hurting and the line obviously against Texas was not a ton better he did have a couple nice plays late in the game Uh, we'll definitely give him that he had a hell of a pass uh, that turned into an assist but 8 points on 2 of 10 shooting 0 of 2 from 3 4 turnovers it just that's that's been too common of a line here lately and I, just, I think they probably win the TCU game if they get sort of an average Cam Carter performance is the un, unfortunate reality. But I also very much recognize what you said. Like, this is a guy that's had the weight of the world on his shoulders more so than I think he even expected this year when they told him he was going to have to be a dude um, and have to be a guy that really scores for him. So uh, you, you might just be running into that with him right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, you hope it's just a mini slump, right? Then you can bust out of it here, as they go into the stretch run. I mean, look, they're going to have another five days before their next game, and then they go through this again the next week, where they play on Monday against West Virginia, and then don't play again until the following Saturday at Cincinnati. So they continue to have these cyclical Monday games, Saturday Monday, where you got the tight turn, but then you get that extra rest, and maybe maybe that'll help, but yeah, I mean, this circles back, this goes back to the BYU game in Provo for Cam. I mean, over his last three games, he's 0 of 10 from three. He's 9 of 33 from the floor, which is 27%. He's had 12 turnovers in the last three games. And actually, over his last four games, he's had four turnovers in each of his last four contests. So he has really struggled, and and I'll be honest, some of the turnovers are pretty infuriating. Um, just careless. You drive into the paint, guy helps down, digs in, uh, steals the ball, dribbles it into traffic, Um, couple one-handed passes. Like if I was going to look at something that this team needs to improve on, and Jerome Tang said last night, like they need to get better at the simple things. Like just fundamentals, basic fundamentals is what I want to see this team execute on. And I know it sounds simple and it sounds boring. I want to see this team Catch the ball, and I want to see them pass it with two hands. And I want to see them take good passing angles and no lazy passes. And, you know, some of the turnovers that this team does have that I think probably infuriates the fan base and frustrates them more than anything is just careless, lazy turnovers that are not forced against this team. They're unforced and they lead to runouts and easy baskets for the opponent when. This is a defense that's really good for Kansas State and when they can get into their half court defense they're really solid and if they don't give away opportunities you can't you can't give away possessions with the offense that K-State has like you have to be able to get every shot up that you can because there's just not enough firepower offensively for Kansas State to be giving away, you know, a turnover rate of 20% or more in every game. And last night I know they they only had 13 turnovers, some of them though were just infuriating again um but they they've got to cut down on it i don't think turnovers is the reason they lost last night's game necessarily it was really just a matter of not shooting the ball well uh especially you know i mean they end up 5 of 19 from three but i mean you shoot what 35 36% from the floor and I don't know, John. I I was running the numbers. I went back, you know, KSU underscore fan, Jimmy. He goes and posts after every game on Twitter the points per possession stats, and he breaks it down first half to second half. And over their last nine games in the first half, they've been at .9 points per possession or lower in the first half. And they're over one-point possession in the second half in all but one game. In the last nine games, they're averaging 0.76 points per possession in the first half and 1.09 points per possession in the second half. They're digging themselves such big holes that they have to dig out of. For whatever reason, they continue to get off to really slow offensive starts in the first half, and they perform better in the second. And uh, you look at last night against Texas. They were 0.64 points per possession in the first half. They were at one point per possession in the second. Now, one-point possession isn't great, but to give people perspective, you don't want to be anywhere below a point of pers- per possession in the advanced metrics. And so they've struggled in the first half. And, you know, the the point eight k K-State last night in the game had .82 points per possession. That was the lowest mark Texas had held a team to in Big 12 play. K-State's effective field goal percentage of 40%, was the lowest allowed by the Longhorns in Big 12 play as well. Uh, The shame of it is, K-State's defense held Texas to an effective field goal percentage of 39%. That was their worst mark of the entire season. Their next worst effective field goal percentage in a game was 43.5% against Iowa State. K-State held Texas to 0.91 points per possession in the game. That was their second lowest mark in 26 games this season and only the sixth time this season they've been held below one point per possession. It's a Texas team that came into the game number 24 in the country in three-point shooting at 37.5%. They were 18th in the country in offensive efficiency at 1.18 points per possession, 37th in effective field goal percentage at 54%. Again, K-State held them to 39% effective field goal percentage, and they held them to 16% from three, three at 19, their second-worst mark of the entire season. They held Max Asmus, their star player, to his third worst offensive rating of the entire season. The defense was great, but the offense couldn't capitalize. You hold Texas to 62 points, you got to win.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the bottom line. And, you know, you mentioned the first half offensive struggles. Like, I get it. It it is a trend. You know, we've even seen, like, with Tyler Perry individually, that show up. I know Reed Geddes dropped the stat Last night, that seventy five percent of his points have been in the second half. Nice to hear Reed Gettys, by the way, in a big twelve
0: basketball
1: Cool little blast in um, And working a nice little positive there. But I, I do think, to me, I kind of just, I, you know, if you are searching for a solution there, I sort of just shrug my shoulders and say, like, they're just, it's kind of, they're just not a good enough team. You know, I mean, that's, you kind of just are what you are at a point, and it, it reminds me a little bit, Cole, and like I hesitate to say this because I don't in any way equate these two coaches we've obviously seen a much much higher ceiling out of Jerome Tang and what he can do last year and I have no doubt that he is going to get get back to being in the NCAA tournament next year but I can remember being a K-State fan that cared way too much about K-State basketball in the mid to late 2000s when Jim Woldridge was the coach and they look you lost a lot of games man not a lot of them where he was getting blasted. There were a ton of close games those last couple of years, but they were just always losing them. And you're kind of like sitting here searching for, you know, well, what if this, if they could just do, and it's like, well, at the end of the day, I mean, they're just, they're just not a good enough team. Now, Jim Walters is not playing in the Big 12. That is this Big 12. I am confident that they would have lost a lot more games by a lot more points at that juncture. But I, I also, you know, I just kind of throw my hands up and say, I'm not going to search too hard for any sort of trend or whatever that might be. Coaching staff, sure, like that's their job. They need to do that. I'm not going to like lose sleep over it, I guess, because I just kind of know what they are at this point. They don't really have the horses to be winning a bunch of games in this league in particular regularly right now.
2: I, I yeah, I don't take this as, like you said earlier in the show, I don't take this as any sort of a trend line of, Oh, you know, and Jerome Tang was a one-year wonder. This coaching staff was a one-year wonder. That's not at all what I think, and I know you don't think that either. I mean, we have a tremendous amount of trust and faith in this staff. There are coaches.
1: I mean, look, look, it's it's going to get mocked. I mean, I've been seeing it all over the place. There are a lot of fan bases that are excited for it. I've seen TCU fans reveling in it. You know, I had a Tech fan after me reveling in it because he was mad about the discourse about Joe Toussaint. Okay. Um but you know TCU Kansas we we know Iowa State we know the usual suspects here. Like you're going to have to hear about it they're going to say it was a one year thing. That doesn't mean that it is. And uh Cole when you when you show me these numbers I was like, "Hey, that's that's actually a pretty compelling case about, you know, second year coaches here recently." And we have heard Jerome Tang say like Tommy Lloyd at Arizona told him that the second year is the hardest. So drop yeah, those numbers let's make everybody feel a little bit better okay well
2: i, I actually I, I went back and found the quote from jerome tang when he talked to tommy lloyd this is in the capital uh, capital journal Topeka capital journal uh where jerome tang says quote and this was from the off season quote every day you have to fight for your culture i was with arizona cage arizona coach tommy lloyd and he just said hey jerome the first year you're locked in you're focused you know exactly what you want He said, as he looks back on his second year, they were good, but he felt like he let some stuff slip a little bit. And in hindsight, he would fight harder for his culture. And it's going to be a stronger fight, more hands on, and more demanding that we do things the right way. We don't take anything for granted. Uh, You know, basically indicating like that second year. And like Arizona was still a, a two seed in the NCAA tournament last year in his second year, Tommy Lloyd. But Tommy Lloyd was a long, long-time assistant coach at Gonzaga who selected, waited patiently for a job, just like Jerome Tang did. Found the right fit, and you know he got knocked out in the first round by Princeton last year at the NCAA tournament. But they they still had a heck of a season. But the point being is, you know, like if if you look at it, it caused me to hit pause and look back at some of the the coaches, like. That made the NCAA tournament power six coaches hired in the 2022-23 season. That that was their first year. So July, the year Jerome Tang was hired, the other coaches how hired to power six jobs that made the NCAA tournament had success in year one. You had Dennis Gates, obviously at Missouri, goes 25 and 10 last year, wins an NCAA tournament game. The 25 and 10, year two, they're 8 and 17 and I think about to drop to 8-18 eight and 18 as we're recording as they they blew the lead against Tennessee, and they're going to be 0-13 in the SEC, and we all remember the big contract that uh, Dennis Gates just got this offseason. Uh, he's getting paid quite a bit more than Jerome Tang. Sean Miller, experienced veteran coach, had a lot of success at Arizona, went to Xavier after the uh, the NCAA infraction stuff, and he had to miss a year. He's a Xavier, year one last year, 27-10. and 10, They went to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament year two, they're currently 13 and 12 overall. Kevin Willard, Maryland, came from Seton Hall, was successful at Seton Hall, goes to Maryland, year one, 22 and 13. They win their first round NCAA tournament game against West Virginia. They fall in the second round. He's currently 14 and 12 in year two. Chris Jans, Mississippi State, came from New Mexico State. Now you could make an argument that he's still finding pretty much an equal level of success that he did last year. They went 21 and 13 last year. They played in the play in game in Dayton where they lost by a point to Pittsburgh. Uh, so they were 21 and 13 in year two. He's currently 17 and eight. Probably going to be in a very similar situation, maybe not the play in game, but a 10 seed, nine seed in the NCAA tournament. And then obviously you got Drum Tang with what he did getting to the Elite Eight, winning 25 plus games last year. And now he sits at 15 and 11 in year two. And still an opportunity to win some more games and find some success here down the stretch. But, you know, Parker in our Discord channel also pointed out that Hubert Davis in year one, now it's a, a more marquee profile of job and you're going to get more talent, but Hubert Davis at North Carolina went to the national championship in year one. Now, they were an eight seed, right, or whatever seed they were. They They overachieved in the tournament and got hot at the right time, went to the national title, and then last year in year two for Hubert Davis, didn't even make the NCAA tournament. And now in year three, here they sit as a one of the best teams in the country. And now, again, they're going to inherit a different level of talent with it being Carolina and, you know, the Tar Heels and the NIL, et cetera. They're going to be a draw. They got a lot of talent there. But it's just to give some perspective that, you know, I, I there's plenty of coaches that had great year ones that have struggled in a year two. And then in the outer years, they adjust and they're fine. So I wouldn't draw any sort of conclusion from this year. Yeah, I mean...
1: It's it's pretty compelling evidence, and I think the other part that, that does suck is, like, you know, just where the discourse goes. Like, we're living in such an online world, and, you know, K-State fans had a hell of a year last year. It, it was something you wanted to get accustomed to. It certainly led to a lot of chirping, and now you're getting some chirping back. And K-State's also, I mean, look, Tang and company have done some things to put a target on their back with what happened at Iowa State and... Look, I love it. And I think it's dumb that everybody makes fun of it. But, you know, I see people getting mad every time they lose at home about someone doing it, mocking the Jerome Tang, like wabashing in the student section. But it's like, hey, if you do that, people are going to do it then when they beat you. Like, it just, I think, I think fans are having a hard time just dealing with some of the blowback that is coming here, which is just, you know, reap what you sow sort of thing. in the online <laughs> Twitter X, whatever world that we live in, in in college sports these days, it probably is driving some more angst and just, Everybody wants it now, anyway, right? I mean, that's that's the way of the world. So, sort of is what it is. I what did you make of um, what did you make of Jerome Tang's comment after the game? That speaking of fans being frustrated, I did see a lot of discourse about where Jerome Tang said that uh, he sees a team that is getting better. Uh, he said that in the post game and mentioned the the fight that they showed going down to the wire. I look, I will give them credit for that. First of all, just in reaction to that, I mean, he is right. Like, they could have easily packed it up. I had mentally packed it up after day-day's foul. You know, yeah. it was like that. That was the moment where you're just like, the season, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. just another one of those things. And they didn't, and they got it down to the point where if Tyler Perry has a layup bounce the different way off the rim, they're going to be down just one possession late in the game with a chance to just play defense and get the ball back so they do deserve credit for that I will give them that but are they are they actually getting better like him and, and is it okay for him to make that comment too I mean I guess that's the other question here
2: yeah I mean I'll start with the latter part of your question I, I think it's absolutely fine if that's the direction he wants to go and publicly protecting his players and making that statement I know some fans may be frustrated from that but I think Jerome Tang knows what's best for his team, and I think he probably doesn't view it as doing any good by coming out to the media and bashing any of his players or talking down about this team. And I, and I think he, the, the interesting thing about how Jerome Tang is handled this season comparative to last year's is, John, you remember like it caught me off guard how upset he was after the Texas game in Manhattan last year. You know they they lost that game and it was disappointing. They they lost by three points in Manhattan, but Texas was a top fifteen, close to top ten team that probably should have made the Final Four last year. They had a lot of talent. They came from they came from behind by what thirteen or fourteen points in the in that game to beat K State. But Jerome Tang was really mad after that game, and he talked about you know how they just let the fans down. and They were so disappointed, and then. The coaching staff, we had had Kevin Sutton on the pod like uh, a few days later and talked about how, you know, Jerome Tang went into that mode of, you know, he could really only lay into these guys once or twice a year. You don't, you know, they don't go tone deaf on you if you do it just once or twice. He just lit into them that whole week leading up to their next game against TCU in Manhattan. And he hasn't done that with this team. There's been some performances where you thought, oh man, he's going to be upset. He's going to publicly lay into these guys after this one. But he has not done that. And and I wonder if he knew last year's team could could handle that. You know, you had Marquise and you had veteran guys, Desi, Keontae, et cetera. And if he doesn't, and this is just me speculating, if he doesn't think this team, if they're just too fragile mentally or from a confident standpoint that he can't do that or maybe he just doesn't view it as, you know, doing any good to do it in the public sphere and he's keeping everything behind the scenes, behind closed doors, in the locker room and laying into them there. He very well may be. I don't have any problem with protecting his team and speaking about them in that way in the public eye. I get that some people may be frustrated. Do I think they're getting better? I think you could make an argument that on the defensive end of the floor, they have gotten even better potentially. I mean, they've been a top 15 defense over the last month in America. I mean, they're 16th in Ken Palm currently overall in the entirety of the season. You know, to do what they did against Texas last night, like people were... Reed Geddes kept talking on the broadcast, which, by the way, it was great to hear Reed Geddes it brought back the old Phillips 66 days of, of Big 12 basketball, and I hadn't heard him call a game in forever. But he, Reed Geddes kept saying, you know, the K-State doesn't look like they have the intensity or the sense of urgency, and I just think it felt that way because K-State wasn't making shots. Like, they, sometimes it feels like an effort issue when shots aren't going in, but you don't hold Texas to – arguably its first or its worst or second worst offensive performance of the year with the talent that they have unless you're playing hard. And I thought they were playing hard. They were still playing with energy, but shots weren't falling. And, you know, I know that's frustrating, but I don't think this is a team that's quit by any means. Uh, they continue to fight back at the end of these games, come back from behind in situations. And so at the end of the day, I don't I don't take issue with Jerome Tank saying that about his team. Offensively, the turnovers, I guess they are maybe cutting down on the turnovers just a tad over the last couple of games, two or three games. I think their turnover rate's been right around 20% or a little lower, so they maybe made a little bit of strides there, but I, I don't think they're probably getting better on the offensive end, and uh, fans know that. They see it, but Jerome Tang knows what's best for his team, and, and he's protecting him in the public eye. Yeah,
1: I think it's probably arguable either way. whether you want or not, you want to say they're getting better as a team because of what you mentioned about the defense is that outweigh where they're at as an offense. The bottom line is it's it's not enough for fans to be happy hearing it, right? I mean, we know that, but I, I mean, like, just who? Cares? Like, what's this? This reminds me a little bit of I, I was just listening to a radio host in Kansas City say this the other day about like what covering the Royals. Is, is like when it's just a long season and they're not winning. You know, ba- baseball is the ultimate example here because there's so many games. But when a team's struggling and it just the same issues come up each night because of personnel, like, I mean, do you want them to go out there and just fire and brimstone every single game? And, like, you know, I, I think we've all kind of agreed that, like, the – the Frank Martin style, like vintage Frank Martin, yell and scream all the time. Like that style doesn't play really very well in current college basketball and just current athletics. With you know the way the entire culture has shifted and the way we've changed, I don't think what you really want is for him to go there every single night and just yeah, well, it's terrible. Uh, X, Y, and Z was really bad. We're uh, that's that's not going to help anybody here. So I'm I'm with you. I. I understand. I'm not going to tell you not to be frustrated. I understand how you see it. And it can be a little frustrating when you're like, dude, they're still doing the same things that just drive me insane. Um, but also let's not turn that into like a serious critique of what's being said up there at the mic.
2: I mean, I, I know I'm hypocritical here because I probably went up against Bruce Weber's postgame commentary numerous times when he said things that frustrated the heck out of me to the media, but I've, kind of taking a look in the mirror um, over the last few years, and I don't get as caught up in those things necessarily. So I I don't have an issue with what Jerome Tang says there. So
1: Well, I would also say there are a lot of things that Bruce did that did not help himself out in those scenarios, and some of the tone on that was a little more like excuse. It it
2: was. uh, Yeah, it was like the whole like, I guess I'm not doing a good enough job, or I guess I'm not, you know, like kind of. Framing it's that way. Play. Yeah. Oh, look,
1: whatever. We don't need to go
2: down. Yeah. No, we don't need to go down
1: that road. Yeah. Framing Maui for losses that are occurring in like February, you know. I mean, like that whole year, 14 15. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, they've got a game coming up this weekend against BYU. I don't know, man. You start looking at this, Ken Palms dropped him down to a seven and eleven projection. That's probably where I would still put them at. It's kind of how I felt for a week or two now. Is what maybe the most likely outcome for them. Um, West Virginia, West Virginia beat UCF tonight. I don't know if that changes your opinion on where the Mountaineers are at, but that's certainly a game that they should win at home. Um, what are you feeling on how the rest of this thing goes, and like, what's what what is a reasonable expectation, and what are we wanting to see? Like, what
2: what is best case scenario? What do we want to see? Well, I think. I think when we talk 6 nights from now John and do another show that this team's going to be 7 and 8 in the league and 17 and 11 overall and we're going to be talking about them being on the bubble again. So I think they're beating BYU in Manhattan on Saturday and I think they're beating West Virginia on Monday night in Manhattan as well and they'll be right that, there again. Does that put the see, does that put them right there? Well, BYU will be a quad one win for sure. They're 10th in the NCAA net rankings currently. Now, that'll give K-State a third quad one win, which clearly isn't enough. They're going to need at least one or two more. Um, so I, I don't think it puts them in the NCAA tournament if they win the next two. Now, one thing that could help them, and I, I don't see them blowing a team out necessarily with the way the offense has been, but you know, if you could just beat BYU and then if you could dominate West Virginia at home per se. Now they have Jesse Edwards back, and I still think West Virginia, they, they have enough pieces that they can be very competitive, and they could even beat K-State. But if you could win a game by 15 or 20 in that fashion and improve some of your analytical numbers and your metrics there in doing so, because the West Virginia win's not going to do anything for K-State from a quad one, quad two win perspective, it'll be a quad three in all likelihood. So that really doesn't improve your resume. But if you can at least blow them out by a decent number and improve your metrics Maybe that can jump your net a few spots because I mean, right now they sit at 81 in the net. Obviously they're not getting in at 81 in the net. Now we know they don't look the committee doesn't just look at the the net ranking. I think KC needs to get in the 60s though, in the net. Now, you be BYU, that's a third quad one win. and then you're sitting in a position where you have another five days before you go to Cincinnati, which is a quad one victory opportunity. It's a road game. Cincinnati is clearly in the top 75. I believe they're a top 30, top 35 net team currently. So it's going to be a quad one opportunity. I actually viewed Cincinnati on the road as the most likely potential opportunity for a win. That's no disrespect to Cincinnati, but they're kind of a grinded out defensive minded team as well, like Kansas State. So I think it'll be a slugfest and up in Cincinnati. And so I think they have an opportunity there especially if they win these next two and they get their confidence back and they can see, you know, light at the end of the tunnel for a potential path to the NCAA tournament. And then, look, obviously they go to Kansas, so they're not going to win at KU. Uh, And then they've got Iowa State and Manhattan on senior day, which, man, what a setup that would be if Kansas State somehow was sitting at 8-9. and Needing that game to uh, to potentially get in the NCAA tournament and also to potentially knock Iowa State out of the Big Twelve championship, uh, whatever position they sit in. So I don't I don't know. I, I just I think they they have a good shot to go two and zero over these next two. I, I'm not
1: completely discounting that. I mean, even Ken Palm wouldn't disagree with you. Ken Palm has it as a three point BYU win. Um, my take here is going to be based on what I have seen from bracketology throughout the year. Like, let's let's back it up three games ago, three losses ago, they beat Kansas. I mean, they were barely scratched. Were they like the last team on the next four out, I believe, at that point for Linardi, I think is yeah. where they were at. So, like, I mean, I, I, you seem to think that they are closer to, to yeah. the bubble than I do based on just what I've seen from other people. I'm not saying that's my opinion on what they should be, Um, I'm saying based on the people who do this for a living, not that they're always accurate and not that there haven't been selection day changes that come out of nowhere and, and they have been off on teams. Definitely happens. Could still be the case here. But I think they're much further away than the next two wins, putting them back like firmly on the bubble. I think next two wins, maybe you're starting to scratch the surface of being close to being where you were at after the KU game. That's to me, that feels like what the unfortunate reality is
2: right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I think going to the TCU game, they were the ninth team out of Lenardi's projection. They they had somehow climbed up from the last team and the next next four out to the top team and the next next four out. So they're the ninth team out of his projection. They lost to TCU, then they lost this this one. Um, I think they'd probably be in the next four out if they win the next two. So probably like the eighth team out. I'm basing it off of, you know, I, I look at more of the quad one, quad two wins, the Kansas state. And a lot of this is also dependent on, I look at a Villanova, John. Villanova has quietly snuck up in the net again, as they put together a winning streak. They beat Butler tonight by 10 in at Villanova. Villanova entered tonight 35th in the net. They have to get into the top 30 in the net to be a quad one win. Villanova will probably climb to like 34, 33 with this one. If they can go on a little mini tear and continue this momentum, there is a very good chance Villanova becomes a quad one win because they only need to move up a few more spots and then they're there. I look at LSU, it's unlikely, but LSU is 88th in the net. It was a road game. They have to get into the top 75 in the net to be a quad one victory. LSU hosts Kentucky tomorrow night. LSU has been competitive in a lot of these games lately. If LSU could knock off they, they just went on the road and won at South Carolina who was 21 and 3. If they could knock off Kentucky and they could go on a little hot tear, uh, you know, they could get in the top 75. Providence is 60th in the net. They're 10 spots out of the top 50, which would be an, a quad one victory cuz it was neutral court. It's probably more unlikely with them, but again, I think there's an uh, there's a chance that one or two of these non-con games becomes a quad one victory. And I think to get into the NCAA tournament, you need at a minimum four quad one wins, probably five. If one of these got into quad one status, that would give K State a third. You beat BYU, that's a fourth, and then if you beat Iowa State or you win at Cincinnati, that's a fifth. And I think you're in if you get five. Quad, I think you're in if you get five quad one wins because they already have three or four quad twos. And I think if you have nine, ten quad one and quad twos with enough on the quad one, I think you're in. And I think Linardi has struggled to adjust to looking at the overall net rankings versus the quad one, quad two that the committee is truly looking at versus the actual overall net rankings. That's that's my opinion. Maybe I mean, I'm being a little bit positive here. Well, it's I think it's fair. I'm
1: not saying Lenardi's I certainly don't think that he's that he's perfect. I was just pointing out like if you're if you're looking at bracketologies regularly and have been throughout the year, it seems like they are further away than what you are saying in the picture you are painting, and what Jerome Tang's been steadfast in saying, and that nine and nine will get you in, um, you you could absolutely be correct. I I'm just merely putting out there
2: what I think, I, or what oh. I have observed, what I have observed. That the crazy, the, the crazy you know, thing right. is, John, what was it that Iowa State got in in TJ Otzelberger's first year? Didn't you say it was seven and eleven that they got yeah, in they a, ever, a couple years ago?
1: Yeah, they were seven and eleven. Yeah,
2: they but must have had, had, had a hell of a non-concrete. Regettis said
1: last night that someone was getting in at seven and eleven for the Big Twelve, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be K State with this with this resume. Um, I had no idea that South Carolina was twenty one and three until losing their last two games. No yeah. idea.
2: Lamont Paris has done it. John, do you remember we watched Lamont Paris, who's the head coach at South Carolina, who was also hired last year in the coaching cycle? Jerome Tang was. He was hired from. Is uh, it East Tennessee? Or, uh gosh Ch- 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 why Nooga, Chattanooga because we we uh we watched Chattanooga and rooted them on to beat Brad Underwood in Illinois at, at the the bar and uh Olathe. had you come over and watch that and we were watching Lamont Paris coach up that Chattanooga team to try to knock out and look we had reasons for rooting against Brad Underwood we were you know thinking he was the number one target at the time for K State and wanted it to to move quickly if there was any chance of that happening so Sorry, Brad. Time. Yeah, I do. I do remember
1: that. Yeah, and I didn't realize that Nova... I mean, Nova's... Look, Nova's... You know who Nova's next game's against? Do they have UConn? <laughs> yeah, they're
2: at UConn on Saturday. Okay, so, so they just need to not get blown out so they don't drop in the metrics in that one, which, by the way, Creighton is currently beating UConn 43-29. So... Uh,
1: but, anyways... Yukon, then it's Georgetown, Providence,
2: Seton Hall, and Creighton to end the year. So I mean, you know, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. John, I mean, there is a real possibility that Villanova could after that Yukon game could win out. And if they do, they're gonna be a quad one. So yeah. let's there you go. let's hope. and LSC or L, L- gonna beat Kentucky tomorrow night. Mark it down. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I would love it. I mean, how how wild would that be if we're <laughs> This down in the dump, so then by the end of the year, you know, K State pulls off BYU, they get West Virginia, and then go into the Iowa State game. All of a sudden, you've got five quad ones. I mean that that would be pretty wild. That would be pretty wild. Yeah. Well,
2: we'll see. BYU's playing Creighton. Yeah. BYU's playing or BYU's playing Baylor as we're recording to right now, and we'll know the outcome after you already listen to this. So, I, uh,
1: I am. I will just. I will admit. I, I hope like hell I'm wrong. I'm less optimistic about this seemingly than Cole is, but I think Cole's scenario that he just laid out is not unreasonable at all. With uh, the back-to-back home games that they have coming up here, I mean, I think they could definitely win those, get some confidence back. Because right now, I mean, this team, this team desperately needs confidence. They need confidence right now. They need, they need a game to go their way down the stretch. Like the TCU thing was, that was a real backbreaker. Especially how well they defended that last possession. We haven't even, you yeah, know, we yeah. didn't uh, show it. Uh, around that game. But hell, I spent two and a half hours at a hotel bar in Fayetteville, Arkansas, <laughs> watching that entire game just to, just to see the very end. Um, and there was a TCU fan at the other end of the bar for the first half of it too. So
2: was he throwing, throwing beer? At- did he throw beer at you?
1: No, he was an older guy. So I think he may have, uh, matured yeah. out of the, yeah. out of the Brad, uh, ratty trust fund phase
2: well i was getting on i was uh on the flight john and we were trying to get ready to take off and the internet on in southwest airlines was malfunctioning and it was uh the espn game tracker like i bought the internet for brody on the ipad but i just stole the ipad from it. we were trying to watch the game and uh, we couldn't get it to work so we couldn't stream it but we were trying to get the game cast to at least work and it went from seventy-two sixty-eight in the last thirty seconds to seventy-two seventy-two, with like fifteen seconds left. And I was like, "This has to be a mistake. It's messing with me." I don't. It wouldn't tell me how they got it tied. And then, right as we're taking off, it refreshed, and it said TCU seventy-five seventy-two, and I was just pissed. I was pissed the whole flight. Vanessa was sitting on the row with the girls across from me, and I looked at her and I go. It's your fault. I just whispered it to her because I didn't make the OU game and I didn't make the TCU game. And uh, those are the only two league games I have missed in the last two years at home. And they've only lost three home games in big 12 play. And I missed two of them this year. So I should have been there. I could have made some sound that maybe would have affected, you know, Jameer Nelson jr. As he threw up that prayer, which by the way, he wasn't even trying to make the shot. He was trying to get fouled. Like he clearly extends. It's a very non-like. It's not good shooting form the way he released it. But it, it, yeah. Now, the, some would say, "Well, I'll see
1: for, if you have a take on this, or if you even watched the TCU game because you did tell me at one point you thought it would it would hurt too much to watch." Um, some would say that it was the basketball gods. Smiling back on TCU a bit after the the foul that had been called previously while K State was trying to get the ball inbounded.
2: Okay, so see, I didn't get to see that play uh, because of the way the internet was going. So I didn't actually see it, but I saw some people say it was probably a bad call. Is that right? Certainly, borderline. Yeah, certainly yeah. thought it was borderline. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I guess
1: I'm not, I don't know. I, the way it ended was awful. I, that game, I mean, they gave up a twenty-to-two run when they had it, someone in control. They had a couple of eight-point leads and just, yeah. That's that's where you you piss that game away.
2: Not, it, it hurts. It, it hurts because you know he, he doesn't make that shot. You know you're going to overtime. And I think Jerome Tang rumor is he's pretty good in overtime. So well, how much of a difference would the TCU
1: game make right now on the on the old resi?
2: man, you know, it's, it's, I don't think TC is going to get to quad one status. They're 36 in the net. It's, it's hard for me to see them getting, you know, the, the big 12 is so tough. I don't, I think they're going to be a quad two win. It certainly wouldn't have hurt. And I'm, you know, I think it definitely, it would have given you a little more margin for error, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Nick just pointed out, I, we're recording the challenge with basketball is like, it's not like college football when we do all these shows, right? There's not a lot of games going on during the week, but like we're talking about the big 12 and there's all these big 12 games going on as we're talking right now. And TCU is beating Texas tech in the first half right now in Lubbock. So maybe they will get in the top 30. I don't know. Hmm. Oh, maybe, the, Joe hey, Joe will hey, maybe Joe Tucson will travel and then Texas tech will win the game. You know? Yeah. Maybe that'll yeah. Maybe, 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 maybe so, which, uh, but Hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to this weekend, man. I got, Uh, I'm back I'll be in Bramlage I'll be in Bramlage Saturday I'll be in Bramlage Monday and uh, I'll be at the Wabash Cannonball in Overland Park on uh, Friday night if uh, any of our listeners are going to be at that black tie event so uh, come say hi if uh, I see you there always a good time Um, might be someone there that I look to engage with as well so I don't get invited to these sort of things I don't know why I don't I don't get invited well uh it's i it's vanessa's company uh, as a table every year and uh, for some reason they keep bringing me back so um Mm. i get uh if i could bring you as a plus one john i would but you know maybe vanessa would like to sub you know she'd probably be willing to leave at like nine o'clock maybe you could sub out you know and come sit with me the rest of the night no, I'm not a bench guy. You know, you got to, you got to start
1: me or else. I'm not going to Cartier Martin this thing. I I am not cool with coming off the bench.
2: Yeah, selfish. Yeah. I'm the team player.
1: You know, I know what I am. I know what I've got. Uh, I, apparently I need more money to, to go to these things. So let me remind you, uh, patreon.com slash three mob. If you would like to get uh, more content from us here on the show, uh, hoping to do a Q&A show later on this week. So uh, make sure you get on there. You can submit your questions for that. You can be a part of uh, the Discord, which is basically one big group chat with all of us, which uh, you know to me would be one of the biggest assets of the entire deal. It's a lot of fun with the folks who are in there and uh, we really enjoy it. So patreon.com slash three mods, five bucks a month if you want to uh, get some extra content and support the channel. Appreciate all of you guys that are doing that. Appreciate uh, Nick Springer behind the scenes. Thanks to our friends at Holiday Distillery. Uh, thanks to our friends at Homefield Apparel. We will talk to you soon, hopefully, with DY and the full crew in tow. Uh, thanks for bearing with us. Both Cole and I have been traveling here lately. So, been a little disjointed with all of this, but uh, happy to get back here for this episode. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.